Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Good evening, gearheads. Welcome to the show. This is John Massagill, and we are live from Circuit of the Americas, and i got Jonathan Green sitting next to me, Mr. What Green. To be, what a place to be. Sunny day here at Circuit of the Americas. Perfect. And we got a couple of guests with us here. We've got Sean and Nolan from Haggerty Insurance. Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, how are you doing? It's never a bad day at the track. Well, hey, my we, favorite place on the planet. I love it here. Uh, yeah. Well, we're out here for the uh, SVRA and Trans Am event, and it is... 461 vintage race cars out on the track. Maybe uh, not all at the same time. Th that just blows my mind, and that was one of the first things that Tony Perella, who runs the series, told me when he when he came in this weekend. And then I didn't, you know, you, doesn't, you don't really comprehend it. And then you and I came in into the car park and realized that Lot A, which is usually the sort of fancy cars, uh, but it's also where we have cars, coffee and uh, Haggerty's are doing their thing, and every, everybody's been doing stuff out there, but there's a paddock out there, a full paddock. Well, Coda's big, but they're not prepared for 461 plus another how many Trans Am cars. Trans Am are stuck up in the yeah, they're in the support paddock. Yeah, you got yeah. Trans Am up the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, incredible day out here too. The weather is perfect. We had some rain between Saturday and Sunday overnight, but you wouldn't know it because we saw blue sky when we left and blue sky when we got here, so it was perfect. Hey, that just means first guys had a clean track. That's exactly. We had a nice green track out here, so but yeah, we're one of, we got the Haggerty guys because y'all are one of the sponsors of this event, and it, it's really it's turning into a phenomenal event. It's a huge. Uh, all these vintage cars, but well, now it's been called a speed fest, and, and that's really what it's becoming. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and with the Trans Am event here, it it brings in some competitive racing with professional race drivers. But, of course, you've got some amazing cars. I mean, Jonathan, some of these cars are worth millions. Well, that's just it. Uh, Tony said it best when he said, you know, you, you've got the, the small trailers, i.e. the guys that are doing it out of their trailer. And then you've got guys who are bringing, he said there's one tent that's probably got $10 million worth of cars inside it. Uh, and they're just here to race for the weekend. Yeah, because you've got the guys that pull up and, you know, maybe they've got a Miata and they've got maybe five, ten thousand bucks in the car and a few f more thousand in the trailer and tools and things. And then you've got Villeneuve's ex Formula One car that's worth <laughs> who knows how much money. Right. Well, you know, a car guy's always going to find a way, right? And, and then you come out here and, and just, you know, this is serious motor racing. They take this seriously. So every single guy from the guy in the trailer to the guy in the paddock, they're all wrenching on their cars and making sure that they're performing in tip-top shape. And you know what? The other thing is, it is the car guy language that goes across all those dollars. Because you'll have guys who are sitting there talking about, we walk up and see, oh, look how tiny those brake discs are. And you look up and there's the, it's the guy that owns the $10 million Ferrari talking to the guy that owns the Miata. But nobody, that, that doesn't even come into their mind because we're all talking cars and gears and parts. So nobody cares. Right. And one of the biggest things that affects me, and you just said it, is, and I've been to a few vintage races, and I've been to some where they are exhibitions. The one thing I want to make clear here at the Circuit of the Americas this weekend is the SVRA, we know what Trans Am does, but SVRA may have the word vintage in it, and the cars may be old, but don't think for one minute they're not racing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. These oh, guys yeah. are taking it seriously. During yeah. the dinner last night, I think Tony was saying over 10 incidents on track yesterday <laughs> during all of them, and they were running an hour and a half behind because of it. And he gave a little scolding speech at the beginning of the dinner about how he should do more videos on safety to make people stop trying to hit each other, and he's asking who's giving out the $10 million pot to the winner because they ain't really there. Oh, think about it, guys. You put 
guys in race cars. I don't care what age they are <laughs> on a racetrack. You don't yeah. think they're going to race? There's yeah. no way. I, I don't. You, you could have that car that's worth a ton of money, but if somebody's about to pass you, you're not going to let him. Oh yeah, we're all really ten year olds. <laughs> exactly. We're not much better than that. One of the guys that was the Masters winner in the Trans Am, uh, he said, "I just turned seventy last week," and I said, "How long are you going to keep going?" He said. For at least another 10 years. <laughs> He's going until, the, until I throw a rod. Yeah. Until, his, until his foot won't put the clutch in. Exactly. There you go. The other thing that uh, strikes me is the fact that we're here at Cota, the most modern circuit probably worldwide still, and certainly the most state-of-the-art Formula One circuit. Um, and these guys go to real iconic places like Indianapolis. We're going to Daytona next weekend. Uh, we've been to Road America, Mid-Ohio. You know, these are classic circuits, uh, and yet Cota has found a place within that for this kind of racing, which I think is a compliment also to Cota. Yeah, huge compliment and to be listed amongst that. I mean, we know Coda on the Formula One circuit and worldwide is known that way. Well, the reason, Jonathan, you know all that is because you've been the voice of Trans Am all year and I, I, gone to all these races. Yeah, I have, and uh, it's a real privilege. Uh, I was I'm just as stunned as anybody that an Englishman could get that job, but uh, I absolutely <laughs> love it, and it has given me uh, a boyhood love that I always had for the Mustang and, uh, you know, the Camaro. I just, I mean, I grew up watching Starsky and Hutch, and I grew up watching Smoking the Bandit. Come on. You know, this is this is a dream come true for me and also I think the biggest thing about it compared to let's say a Formula One is the the camaraderie the, the fraternity that is uh, both SVRA and Trans Am I mean this year alone we've had Boris said who's you know oh. who's a compliment to speak for themselves uh, Paul Tracy Bill Elliott I mean, you know, these are, these are household names of past, but they still want to race in Trans Am. And this is, a, like you say, our champion's 22. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, Rafa Matos is the new champion of uh, TA2. And he's, uh, you know, he's no, uh, no spring chicken, but he's been an IndyCar driver. He was an Indy Lights champion and rookie champion. So, I mean, you know, we've got some really, really talented uh, drivers out there that have come from all different walks of life. And, and that's the biggest thrill for me is watching... The, the experienced drivers that have come from all those different uh, types of racing against the youngsters. Warren Dexter, who we'll hear from later, uh, 21 years old, and he won TA4. Yeah, and his brother was racing with him, too. Yes, we have he was. A, a couple of interviews from both of those guys. We also have a good interview with Tony Perella, the sure. head of SVRA, and now Trans Am. They, with the, they purchased the controlling interest, like you'll, you'll hear him say. But we've got a great interview with him. Uh, let's touch on Trans Am a little bit, Jonathan, because it's got four classes. It's got the TA, TA2, TA3, and TA4. The TA is kind of what we would think of as Trans Am. You know, un unlimited horsepower. You know, I say unlimited, but they're, they're typically 800. There comes a point where yeah, yeah can only get so much. And the dollars, but unrestricted. Yeah. You know, some of the other classes like TA2 is restricted, but they're unrestricted, and, and these are the guys that are true professional race drivers. Yeah, TA2 is, if you like, the flagship simply because it is limited to just under four, uh, to 500 horsepower. So that's where you get the classic um, traditional Camaro, Mustang, Viper Challenge, if you will. Uh, uh, you know, the Challengers. Uh, Boris was driving the only Dodge Challenge we had in it today. But, um, you know, it, that's where we get that battle. And it's as close to a spec series. Therefore, it's more about the drivers um, than any other. So that's why we're attracting the likes of Rafa Matos. TA, as you mentioned, is unlimited, but it's still, again, Trans Am. Uh, tubular frames, but, uh, you know, 
big old engines underneath the classic, uh, you know, grunt and muscle cars of the of old. Uh, but of course, it's the latest versions of them. So they're going head to head. There's a manufacturer's title uh, competition just as much as there's a driver's title competition, and it's been hard fought out. And then you've got the more production-based TA3 and TA4, um, which has seen this year, uh, of all people, a British mark, Ginetta. Yeah, come, come the to G55. The, I know. Yeah, it's brilliant, and um, it's surprising that I mean, I know Ginetta from England, and obviously they they have a small factory in Leeds, uh, and they've been making cars for many years, but they've done just spec series up until now. Uh, and so for them to take the, the jump and, and come out here and, and race against the Americans is brilliant. And in TA3, um, they are leading the championship, uh, one more round to go, and in TA4, they've already wrapped it up. Wow. Yeah, I was looking at, I was watching those, and on the racetrack with deliveries, they, the profile, I kept saying, oh, that's a Corvette. Corvette. It looks <laughs> like rude, a Corvette. Yeah. I kept saying, I kept confusing them with the Corvettes, but it's really, I looked them up, I had not heard of Janetta before Trans Am Series this year, and it's a really cool car. I mean, like a 400 horsepower, yep. probably a pretty lightweight, probably That's just really over 3,000 pounds. Uh, yeah, here at Cody, you don't see the advantage until you go through the S's, but some of the smaller tracks, uh, they've, they've won races simply by not being there on the straights against the Vipers, but being fast and going around the outside at Road America. I mean, um, I'm thinking about, uh, yeah, Road America around the carousel, they were doing outside moves just to overtake there because they could. <laughs> Yeah, coming through the S's. We were watching them. You could see that they were faster than the, the Vipers and Vets coming through there. It was, oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what about some of the other, you know, the, the different classes and different cars? They all have, like, the, in the Trans Am series, they've got the silhouettes of Corvettes and, and Camaros, Mustangs, but they are tubular. But the, the other classes are actual. Some of them are production-based. Yeah, I mean, basically, you've got Porsche, like I said, Dodge Viper. You've got GT4 cars. Um, it's, it's a combination, um, but all to a spec series. And so uh, we've even had BMWs in there. We had the odd Cadillac. Yeah, uh, CTSV. You know, CTSV. So, you know, it, it's kind of... Um, they don't, want it to, they don't want it to be a spec series, but it all goes. There's no BOP. It's not like GT Racing where there's a balance of performance. But um, it seems to work pretty well. Well, we're out here in the Haggerty Garage out here where you guys had uh, fans walking through. You, all had a, you got the, uh, the, the uh, Cobra sitting back in the corner. And that's one of your customers, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just invited a customer to or We asked a customer to loan us their car so that we could uh, just kind of show it off in the, in the paddock garage. Well, it's also like uh, a little magnet to car guys walking by, too, to, to see a Cobra in the garage. <laughs> Especially when it's got a for sale sign on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll make them turn in. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and you guys, I mean, Haggerty being the name in, in insurance for classic cars, but we've talked about it a little bit, Sean, but also other than, uh, than just classic cars, but race cars now, again, uh, what, what do you say? You like to say up to the edge of the racetrack through the paddock, you're insure cars? <laughs> up to the starting line is what I like there to you say. Go. You know, <laughs> there you go. Um, Even better. Yeah, so we'll, we'll insure it in storage. We'll insure it on the trailer and in the paddock area, which is a very special thing. and You can't really find that in a lot of other places, um, which is why we find a lot of value in our partnership with SVRA, um, CVAR, uh, and, and, and a bunch of other race associations. Uh, because you know what? Hey, racing is not a cheap hobby. Um, mm -hmm. And so why not uh, insure your asset and make sure that you're, you're fine in case you get T-boned? Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. We're coming to you from Circuit of the Americas for the SVRA and Trans Am Racing. And we'll be back after these messages.
Bianvi Augusta motorcycles are the epitome of Italian style, precisely crafted with a passion for two-wheel art on wheels. Ducati Austin are the only MV Augusta and Ducati factory authorized technicians in Austin, servicing all European brands. Check the Brutale Sport Naked, the most extreme essential naked bike ever. Or the Turismo Veloce 800, the first revolutionary tourer to be built by MV Augusta. Or if you want a pedigree steeped in racing, then look no further than the World Supersport winning triple F3, 675 and 800. Or go all out for the ultimate legendary F4 MV Augusta. Italian style with Texas soul. Trade-in, consignments welcome and financing available. To Caddy Austin and the home of MV Augusta at 818 Breaker Lane, just east of I-35. Lone Star Rallycross, a family-friendly, time-trial, loose surface racing series with affordable events, quality competition, and an emphasis on having fun. Co-founded by multi-time SCCA solo and Rallycross national champion, Rally America class champion, and Pikes Peak Hill Climb winner Breanne Korn and her brother Kevin Korn. Race the same car you drive to work on Monday. Just 20 minutes from Circuit of the Americas at the state's only purpose-built Rallycross facility. Online at LoneStarRallycross.com. Hey, beer people, it's Christine Sellers. And I'm Daytona. Sellers Brewery is back in Austin and brewing again. Oh, Sellers does it ring a bell for some of you? Well, for the last 17 years, we've been crafting the perfect comeback. We've returned to our roots with Sellers White, a famous local favorite. Plus, we're creating some fresh new brews. And whether it's the first time you've tasted our family's legendary beer, or the millionth, we're thrilled to be back. Swing by your local store, watering hole, or our brewery, and let's catch up over beers. Sellers, Austin's original craft brewery. Talk 1370. Hi, this is Gene Haas, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Welcome back to Speed City. We're out at Circuit of the Americas. We've been out here all day. We're watching race cars go by. It's actually and bikes now on track for oh, the first that's right. time. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that's the first time ever at the SBRA event. But a gorgeous day out here, and we've had a blast all weekend long out here. It's fun to do a show from Coda, but uh, we we ran into a couple of guys that were uh, we watched them race. <laughs> they almost ran into each other. Yeah, yeah that's true. The Dexter brothers almost did, and we got a couple of interviews with the uh, with the young Dexter brothers, Warren and Ryan. And Jonathan, you've been following them all season. Yes, I have. Uh, they're two great guys, both from Nebraska. In fact, the older uh, Warren has won the TA4 championship. Uh, he's still just out of university, uh, and he's a great kid. He got thrown into Janetta. He's pretty much won every race there is to, to run this year and has wrapped up the championship already. He then showed up this weekend with his 17-year-old younger brother, and he immediately jumped in. He'd only raced Mi Miatas up until this point, never done a Trans Ram race, got straight into the car, beat a former champion, Jason uh, Daskalis, one TA3, both of them uh, on the podium today. Wow. What a great story. So we spoke to them, uh, well, you spoke to them straight after the uh, race. Yeah, let's go, in, let's, uh, let's go in here from Warren first. Yeah, um, it was awesome. You know, we had some stiff competition with uh, Shane Lewis and a GT4 Camaro, um, and it was crazy. The first, you know, eight or ten laps, man, it was it was racing with him. It was racing with cars out of class. It was crazy. We were banging off curbs, you know, people were going everywhere. Um, yeah, it was awesome. We were able to just, you know, we, we finally made our way through traffic cleanly, uh, and once we got by our own, we started clicking them off, clicking them off, building the gap, building the gap, and then we were able to just maintain that for the rest of the race. Yeah, these young guys get to <laughs> race on the same circuit as the Formula One drivers were two weeks ago. I know. 
Really, really impressive. And I tell you what, what a future that both of them have got uh, if they keep racing. And I think Trans Am, it's great to see kids, literally, yeah. uh, choosing Trans Am as their race series rather than going to karting or, or single-seaters. Uh, yeah, I think they've got probably almost a longer and bigger future, probably more fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's go in and hear from Ryan Dexter now after his race. Yeah, today was great. The whole weekend went well. The car was perfect. It was lighting fast around the corners. The race was, it went exactly as planned. Um, I just had to maintain consistent pace behind the Vipers and towards the end of the race their tires started to fall off and I was able to make my way around them and finish off with a good lead. Ryan. Ryan's just 17. Uh, Warren is 21, just graduating out of university. They've grown up, obviously, racing. Um, the dad drives the truck. I mean, it's a really <laughs> good story. They're from Nebraska. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a really good story. And like I said, I'm impressed that they've chosen to do Trans Am racing uh, at this, uh, this time and uh, era because I think they're, they're, they're aware of the history and uh, they're also aware of their part in it and what it could mean. They, I mean, this could be a career for them. So. This sounds like the Felipe Massa story. I was just, yeah. I was just listening to that not long ago. Talking about his dad driving the truck and going from sure. race to race. It's the American version. Uh, but let's talk about the, uh, the TA2 race. You and I got to call that race out here on the PA. That race... That was one of the best races we've called out at Coda ever. To be honest, it was one of the closest finishes I've ever seen here at Coda. Uh, TA2 racing is always good. Uh, and Rafa Matos, who is a former IndyCar driver, as we've said, won the championship earlier this year. So we were thinking that the, that the racing would fizzle out. But the battle for the runner-up spot between Tony Bufamonte, uh, between, uh, well, was about, there was about six guys, all capable uh, of, of getting onto third place overall and all capable of running at the front. And then at the start of the race, like four of the guys that we were expecting to be at the front all fell off, yeah. all fell out. Uh, Bufamonte had a spin. He got, got going again. Uh, they were all chasing um, each other for, for the first half hour. We had one caution, but then we had this almighty battle between Gar Robinson of Ta San Antonio, Texas, who's a former uh, TA2 champion, and Misha Goikenberg from Canada. Now, these guys went tail to tail, wheel to wheel for the best part of 40 minutes. Yeah. And then it went down to the last lap where they were literally, you can imagine me while well, you were there, <laughs> I was on the edge of the ceiling uh, watching these two go side by side, and the race was won by 0.6 of a second. Well, yeah, it was won by Closest point, finish in history. 0.6 of a second, but what you, you didn't say is how much of that last lap, they were side they by were side. side by side, yeah. Around like 50% of the circuit of, the, of that last lap. They were Turned side drag by side. It, it, it was. Literally, and there was a couple of laps beforehand where they were coming across the line and going straight up the hill side by side. Wow. Yeah. Really cool. That's awesome. And, you know, the guy's from San Antonio. He's a former champion. He doesn't do the full series, uh, but when he gets in the car, he's always competitive. And he was saying to us, given he was from San Antonio, midget racer and all the rest of it this this was a dream come true to win here all his family and friends were here so fantastic story for gar robinson well let's go ahead and hear that uh, that interview we did with gar right after he won lap traffic was a little bit of an issue for us but uh i it, it was the it, i this, this has been four years for me wanting to try and win this thing and uh it was the last chance i was going to have so i i took it i stuck it in there i kind of had a i knew he was inside so i tagged outside and i had a i had a feeling it was going to go out wide and then it ended up just being a drag race we didn't touch or anything which was incredible that was that's that's really how i like to run and i, I really appreciate drivers who can do the same and and uh it, it just it just worked out it was it was going to be who had it and luckily uh k-tech power helped us out through it and uh it, muscle cars and drag racing on a road course i mean what, what could be better than that yeah this guy's obviously excited about his win yeah, all right all right all right <laughs> i love it all right so jonathan i want to talk about ernie <laughs> 
Yep, Ernie Francis Jr., Jupiter, Jupiter Florida, um, and he's been a sensation, actually. You know, we talk about Trans Am being a 52-year-old championship. Well, this is a 22-year-old kid who's dominated and is now very quickly becoming one of the most successful drivers in Trans Am. He's been racing it since he was a teen. Um, he hasn't gone on. He's been lured by NASCAR. He did K&N for a bit. He's been doing a little bit of both this year. He did one situation where he raced Saturday night in K&N in, in Watkins Glen and then came and raced with us at Indy. Started at the back because he couldn't qualify and still won the race. So the kids are being the, the series, the, the latter series. Just below the Xfinity, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a NASCAR. So, yeah, he's a great kid. Um, his whole family come with him. He is out of one trailer, so to speak. He's got one big sponsor, but he's fast, and even the old boys can't keep up with him. But he's dominated the championship, and they came into this weekend with a five-point gap over Lawrence Loshak, but he's extended that. All right, let's hear this clip with Ernie Francis Jr. Good, had a really good race for us out there and uh, got a race win, which is really awesome. We've had a really bad past couple races with some uh, a wreck and a few DNFs just from a part failure on the car. So uh, to get a race win and kind of get our points lead back and get our momentum back going into the last round is uh, really awesome. So uh, looking forward to going out there to Daytona and trying to repeat the result and uh, bringing home the championship. We were pretty quick. I mean, the car was uh, faster than qualifying times last year for much of the race. I mean, we were pretty happy with it. Um, I was enjoying it out there with the car and having a good time. How much time have you spent on here in Coda before? Uh, I've been coming here since 2013, racing in the Pirelli World Challenge Series in the TCB class, and then uh, racing uh, a few other times here in a couple endurance races and, uh, and in the Trans Am Series the past uh, three years. So oh, definitely uh, have you, some time you on this track. You know this track great. Yeah, have some time on this track for sure. So yeah. it's, a, it's a fun place. Uh, well, so what are, you, uh, what are you hoping to do Daytona? I mean, it's a dramatically different track. What's your expectation? Uh, expectation is to go out there and win. Uh, that's what we came out here to do. Um, that's what we're coming out to do over there is to win the race, win the championship, and uh, bring it home again. All right, well, I want to go into the next interview we did, and we're going to play. We did a, a really in-depth interview here with Tony Perella, the, the head, the boss of SVRA. And I want to play a, a part of this because the whole thing we're going to put out on a podcast but I want to play a, a segment of this because it really will kind of set up what I want to talk about after that and, and how this, this event is actually becoming a pretty important event on the motorscape landscape here in the United States. So let's, uh, let's hear this interview with Tony Perella, head of SVRA. Tony, welcome to the show. Oh, it's good to be on. Thanks for having me back, guys. It's always uh, fun to be a Coda, that's for sure. Well, this, this time looks huge. You guys have a huge turnout. And it looks like probably the biggest crowd yet for this event. Far and away, this was a record gate for us. Um, number two, we had a total of 461 race cars. And then on top of that, we had the first time we've ever brought vintage motorcycles to the show. We had a show and shine show that from Haggerty's that they sponsor that had over 200 cars. So, you know, somebody comes with their show car, they could drive around at lunchtime to experience the circuit itself. Uh, with a pace car, of course. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think the, the momentum of the combination of SVRA for the historic side of things, it coupled with Trans Am, the modern day, uh, you know, loud thunder, noisy, ground pounders, it's really hit a mark that's been missing in racing. I, I, I constantly hear from folks, we're tired of spec racing. We don't want to watch 25, 35, 45 of the same car for four hours go around in a circle. And we're anything but that. With 461 cars here, there's, I don't think there's two of them that are the <laughs> same. And it really makes for a show that fan can come in and get right up close. In some cases, sit in the car, get their photo taken, talk to the driver. So it's a 
fan friendly experience. I, you know, we're starting to market it more as a speed festival than a specific type of racing because that's really when you race from eight in the morning to six at night, it is a festival. So that that's kind of how it's evolved, and we're doing it 14 places across the country now. Yeah, well, I know it's fan friendly. We're walking through the paddock near the garages. And the teams were inviting people in. They would see somebody taking a glance at a car, and they'd say, come on in, come take a look. And uh, You know, the owners are, first of all, they're so proud. They're so proud of their cars, and they're proud to tell their story. They're proud to tell their story, and really, um, that's what this is about. You know, kids under 12 or 13, I don't know what they We don't even charge for children. Uh, a lot of times they were given out front, look, look, give us your emails so we can market to you just for our races locally. We'll give you a program and a poster. I mean, we were trying everything possible to make this. It's, you know, I think there's a $10 ticket for Fridays. So this isn't about uh, a big ticket sale. This is about people coming out and experience racing at a different level that really hasn't been in this country for a very, very long time. And it, it, frankly, it's racing that I did when I was a kid. And that, I'm trying to replicate what I experienced at Watkins Glen 45 years ago with my dad. That, that's really the basis of our business plan. What, what do you think is the interest? I'm I mean, amazed. I travel the world doing motor racing, and, and the interest in historic racing, not just here in the States, but it seems to be so prevalent here. Um, and you, you've been at this a few years now. What, what, is the, what has been the catalyst, if you will, that has brought the fans, and, 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 and more importantly, the cars out? With 400 cars, that, that shows that people are willing to invest in these older cars. Well, there, there's, I, think there's, it's a, I think it's a perfect storm. My business plan, when I bought Esferi in 2012, my model was very, very simple. To sum it up, it was, I'm going to go get the best footprint of the best road race courses in America, and that will attract a lot of racers from a bucket list standpoint. So, Indianapolis... You know, to race at Indy, we were the first to do that. First to race here at Coda as amateurs. Watkins Glen, Sebring, Florida, Road America, Mid-Ohio, Laguna Seca, and, you know, on and on and on. And those, those are the marquee tracks. If you're a road racer, that's where you want to go race. And so we were the only company to ever put them all together in a season. What happened then is 4,500 racers across the country will want to experience. That's our scale now. So we were able to attract tire manufacturers we were able to attract fuel manufacturers insurance any race related company we were a slam dunk to get as a sponsor because the scale was so big we took that money and in the process we found that the wealthiest racers who had the resources as you can see out front would go i want to i can go race at watkins glen they put in they're in the tractor trailer with their three teams and their private chef and they fly in and suddenly the luxury brands are coming to the table. We've taken that money and we're investing in the third stool of the business plan, which is now to really make it a spectator event and raise awareness. So I think all of those things, the footprint, the professionalism that we run a race, the, the need for the fan to see something different that is accessible, to go drive a Jaguar or a Land Rover while you're here, the car show, it's, a, it's, it's more hands-on than you're going to see at a, a, a typical professional like, like an IndyCar or NASCAR where you've got to kind of, kind of stay in your seat and watch the action. This week kind of gets you involved with it as much as possible. Tell you what, in Austin, people are, 
it, it's an event they expect now. You say, well, I'm going to, yeah, have, you, have you been to this race, been to that race? Well, I'm, I'm going to come back to the vintage one because that's what I saw. And so it's becoming something that they know and they expect to be back every year. I think you're building an audience here. I, I think we really are. This is, and that's demonstrated by the scale of our gate this year. But also, we're building an audience of, there's guys from Seattle, Washington, from Miami, Florida, from Maine, from, Probably about every state, and maybe not Alaska or Hawaii, but continental U.S., I'd argue we probably got representation from just about every state. And there's guys that won't miss this race, uh, but there's a lot of guys saying, you know, look at look what's out in this paddocks. I mean, there's one town over there with, like, four original Cobras that raced at Le Mans, a GT40. There's $10 million under one tent. And... It's mind-boggling in today's market to see them go at it hard out on the racetrack, and they race them. But, you know, they can afford to do that, and that's what makes us so cool. Well, I know you've I've seen every scale. Like, you've seen Formula One cars that obviously, like I said, are zillion dollars. But I've also seen, looks like, teams that uh, put together on a budget. So it looks like every, uh, every scale. Well, you, you have 10 classes here. For this race, we have 10 different race groups. And within those race groups, there can be three or four classes competing for what we call in a gold helmet, a national championship, as long as our cars meet our rules for that period. And so you got Mini Coopers and... Fiats and MGs, and you got four million dollar Cobra, five million dollar Cobras, and everything. You got stock cars. You got there's over a hundred open wheel cars from Formula Vs to Formula One, and that's that's about as wide a spread as you can get. But it's um, we're as important to the short trailer guy, what I call a guy who gets his pickup truck, loads his car takes out his tool belt works on the car and i was one that's how i was raised as a racer to the high end of the scale with a full-blown team just so the audience understands and maybe the question will come out of of this comment but you've got over 460 cars you've got racing drivers who are never happy unless they win and want to go faster you've got fantastic million dollar cars that are worth auction prices uh, and are well, they are priceless, and yet you're not exhibiting them. You are racing them. So that, to me, would sound like the ultimate headache for somebody in your position. How do you get through your weekend? I turn my hearing aid off sometimes. <laughs> um, I, I really, uh, and, it's, and it's a balance of how I keep, I, you have to have a pretty strong personality to handle it. You have 461 amped up razors who know the perfect way to run a race. Yeah. Every one of them. And what's interesting is all 461 have a different way to do it. So you have to, uh, we, we do our best to say what the rules are, manage the rules exactly how they're written. We educate at the driver's meeting with film, saying here's where you're going to get in trouble. And if you have a driver conduct issue, you go home. You get, you get suspended or banned for a period of time. And best way to get somebody's attention is to send home a prominent I had two years ago I had a guy from Monaco flew from Monaco on his private plane had a team put together two race cars for him for this event test day test day We're, it's playtime it's does the car run right he took out two cars so now this guy spent crazy money to be here but he wrecked two people's weekend so you got to go home. I, and at the driver's mean for a second, now this is test day, zero tolerance rule. If you cause something that it's your fault, that we know you go home. 
I came here from Monaco. Well, you're going to go home to Monaco because you're not racing with me. He was furious. But he came back the next year and he was very <laughs> controlled. And, um, and that you have to have that, I, I, almost like an iron fist with these guys. I, and I don't like to be that. I like to be a more congenial, let's have fun. But I actually have to keep them in a box so they don't do something stupid. Because they're, they are racing hard. And, and I, people ask me all the time, how good are they as drivers? Right? And I think 90% of them, I would compare, if you want to use a football analogy, could play for Notre Dame or University of Texas or one of these high-end Division I schools. That doesn't mean they could play in the NFL. And, and that's, when you think of there's 33 guys who start the Indy 500, it's a pretty small pool yeah. to get to that league or how many in F1 were here, 20-something cars. And, or in, even in the, in the Winston Cup, you know, or, or NASCAR Cup Series, you're talking, what, 43 cars, I think, is the maximum field. So that's a pretty small, when you consider I got 461 just at this one event, and Nationwide I have over... There's 11,000 drivers in my database. So it's crazy. So when you think about it on those terms, these are phenomenal drivers. And they're putting their pride and joy at risk when they race them. And I want them to race as hard as they possibly can, whatever that line is where they know what the car is going to do. If they take it one step further than that because they think they can do it and they crash, there's consequences. And, and it's not... It's simply because the other guy who maybe is a short trailer guy who hauled his car all the way and it's his pride and joy didn't do anything wrong but because you thought you were the next Parnelli Jones, you take the car out, I can't have that. So we, we, are, we are consistency, good communication. 99% of the time I send them home happy. 1% I always piss off a few, but that's, that's what it is. How big is your team? How many people do you travel to these? This will shock you. 14 events, full-time people, 8 people. Oh, Counting me. You're kidding. No. We have, but we have, at a track like this, we'll have 60 weekend. But for the actual, to run SVRA, full-time people, it's very small. But we wear a lot of, and that includes our magazine company that we have. <laughs> Tony, I know you live up north now, but this must be special for you because you spent a lot of your time here. I just want to little, know a little bit about your background. Where did this passion, because clearly it's, it's clear, where did it come from? How did you start getting into this? I, I grew up in uh, upstate New York, and uh, my dad exposed me to Watkins Glen to watch the original Trans Am, the real hardcore Pernelli Jones era Trans Am. And that had an effect on me. By the time I was 15, I convinced him to sign a waiver to let me race dirt cars. So I started off with amateur stock cars. He had to drive me to the racetrack because I didn't have a New York State license, but yet I could go racing, which was a little <laughs> bizarre. And uh, I won my first race at Canandaigua Speedway and won a few track championships along the way. But then life got, I, didn't, I thought I was going to go to Indy. I really believed I was going to race an Indy 500. And then, you know, marriage, babies, end tables, curtains, diapers, nothing about carburetors, tires, or anything like that. So I had to get a real job. And um, so I wasn't one of the fortunate that came from enough money to get to that show or had enough talent to get to that show. But here, uh, five years ago, I broke the code to get amateurs in, and I have raced at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And what's really cool we have a pro-am every year. We now call it the V-Rock Series, the Vintage Race of Champions. I had one at VIR just a month ago with NASCAR drivers. And at, uh, 
Indy, we have particularly 500, Indy 500 drivers. Well, my co-driver last year was Al Unser, four-time winner. So wow, I am the only guy in the world who could say, at Indy, my co-driver was Al Unser. And we had, um, he was 79 years old. We had, it was, it was like racing with royalty, which he is. He couldn't have been more gracious. And as I'm showing him the line in our Avis run-a-car, I'm thinking, Dad, if you were alive, you wouldn't believe this, right? And, that, and then little Al gets in the car and says, get the hell out of the way. Let me show him the line. And so we have, I have built such a uh, friendship with all of these guys. It's a, as a racer, it's a privilege. It's a, it's a privilege. So what of future, I mean, uh, and also what of Trans Am? How did that come to be? You mentioned that it's a good fit, but um, it's an interesting fit because it's not an obvious fit. I don't think, I think um, four years ago, John Claggett, the president of Trans Am, called me and said, you know, you raced at Sebring. Could we come up with a way for us to race on your schedule one session? So we worked out a deal, and when I saw the fan appeal, it's like, hmm. So we did a couple more races, couple more races, and then a year ago I bought controlling interest in Trans Am. And uh, what a common now next year we'll run ten races together, wow. historic, and and we're building one event at Laguna Seca that's all about Trans Am because there's such a great history there. So I have the historic Trans Am group, which I had race here a couple years ago, with authentic late '60s, early '70s cars. Um, we've done that at Sebring with Modern Day Trans Am, and it'll really be about American muscle. That'll be the theme of that. Um, but it's really been a godsend because that's another demographic to market to. Because there's some people they hear vintage race, they, they, they have this vision of old guys putting around in a chitty chitty bang bang car, waving to the corner workers, and we're not that at all. But that, when you say the word vintage, it means a lot of different things. So that's part of why we're starting to go, we're not really vintage, right? We're a lot of things. Uh, Trans Am gave me a younger demographic. And again, it, the spec racing side of racing, I think, is really frowned upon for the through and through. They, they miss that ingenuity and engineering that goes into building the best mousetrap as much as the racing. Trans Am provides that, especially the TA class. It's pretty loose. You can... You know, they put a box around the displacement and, that, and wait, that's about it. Everything else, build it. And it really makes for some, and you know, this weekend, Boris Set is racing here. Jeff Brabham's racing in the vintage side. Uh, Lindsay James is here. And so you have, if all these great legends are coming back, uh, Willie Ribs was here yesterday. So I'm really proud of, um, connecting yesterday's people who built the sport the legends of the sport i'm giving them a place the playground to play and we've had bill elliott we had bobby labani racing with us at vir i've had paul tracy race with me in atlanta yeah so he does both sides so it's really been um it's been a, i've gotten to know i've gotten to know them all and uh it's it's fun it's really fun wow this is i mean you're creating something here that's really it's getting huge i mean well you you added trans am you've added motorcycles what's next well we, we experiment with a lot of things we uh we've done some concerts historic concerts from you know rock bands from the 70s and 80s and i think that'll become uh, something we do we've done a collector car auction as part of Pardon me? We've had, uh, let's see, I had Charlie Daniels here. I've had Three Dog Night, Grand Funk Railroad, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, The Guess Who, Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. 
Oh God, a bunch of I'm, I'm drawing a blank on a few of them now, but we had, uh, and it's really cool because yeah. this era that races, they know who that is. The young kids don't quite know who that is yet, but that's okay. I heard that song before. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we just, it, again, it's about a festival that you put enough here, there's something for everybody. And it's not, you know, it's, and again, you, to come here and get in a, a car with Davy Jones or Roberto Guerrero today and go out on hot laps and go at speed in a Jag with those guys, that's a pr Who gets to do that? That Buy a ticket, go sign up. You know, Jonathan, the, the importance of this event now, the multiple events yep. of, at SVRA, it's really, it's, it's an important event now in the motorsport, motorsports landscape in the United States because adding Trans Am... And these huge turnouts, and and like just here in Austin, people are saying, "I will go to the Formula One race." You ask people, "What races do you go to at Coda?" And it's Formula One, MotoGP, and quickly becoming in that a lot of times in that third position is the vintage racing. Yeah, and, and I, I never thought there was the market, if you will, for or the interest, the appetite to watch vintage racing. And I've already mentioned that they do f truly race, but it is growing, and it's growing exponentially. And, and the, the, fa the fact that it, you know it's a success when you've got 400 entries, never mind a, a group yeah. of fans want to watch it. Yeah, well, uh, we've got uh, Nolan uh, Ebert and Sean Walker from... Haggerty, and I want to get you guys, you know, he mentioned Haggerty, uh, being able to get sponsors like you guys and grow this event, but I want to get your take on the importance of this event and, and how it is, how it affects your business and how it it's affects the whole motorsport community. Well, um, I'll chime in and say, first of all, I'm a huge car nerd. I'm a huge racing nerd and a big Formula One nerd, and I don't think I would have ever seen Andretti's car like I did <laughs> last year at full tilt going down the track. And then this year, as you said, Jacques Villeneuve's car was going, which was actually still going around when we started here today. It's just something I would have never seen in my life. And the only other time you'd see that car is in a collection or in a museum somewhere. To, so to, to hear point. that motor going through the, the main straight at Coda is something I thought I'd never do, and I'm just so excited to be here for it. Well, you know, for, for us, I mean, there's a lot of different factions of car person out there. You know, we use this term car guy, but car person is the real term that we like to use. But we want to be where the cars are. We want to be where the car people are. And um, like he said, this organization is growing, 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 growing because it's fun racing. It's good to watch. And it's great people. You, there's more access to the paddock. You can get in there. You can smell the oil. You can see them wrenching on their car. You can watch a whole uh, prep of a race if you really wanted to on your favorite car. And like he said, some iconic stuff comes out here. You might see a 356, a genuine 356 race coupe, you know, go into the wall. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's exciting for us. Yeah, and, you know, you talk about access to the garage. Uh, I was walking through with my son, and we just kind of stopped and looked. And the guy sees, especially young people, they see him, they, they just wave you into the garage. They go, come on in, come in, don't be afraid. And every garage that way, is that way. You know, different racing series that come here, right. you can have different levels of access. But rarely do you get to actually walk in and, you know, they'll put you in the car if you ask. But everybody, there's so much access. Absolutely. Oh, I saw a kid sitting in one of Nicky Lauda's old cars. I think it was a Can-Am car that was sitting there. And it was a nine-year-old. He had no idea what it was. But he was sitting there, and his dad was taking pictures. And you don't see that at Formula One. You're not going to let Max Verstappen have some kid jump in the seat or Indy or any of those. It's just a one-of-a-kind event. Yeah, and... And As uh, we hear Sean, them just fly by us right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cars going by. Yeah. Minis and all sorts. So, it looks like yeah, the, uh, really the B-sedans are back out there, it looks like. So... Sean, you mentioned something a second ago about different factions of car person, right? Sure. Because there's so many. I mean, there's people that are gearheads, you know, that are all in the mechanical. And then there's, there's 
waxers and polishers. Then there's motorsport guys. But I think at this kind of event, everybody has got something here at this kind of event. Absolutely. I mean, even if you're in... Uh, into the concourse circuit, uh, you're into uh, cars for being museum pieces or or the history of cars, you're still a car person. And so to hear a race car fire up, that's always going to get get your you know blood pumping because you have the motor oil in your veins. You know. Well, and we had our uh, Haggerty Show and Shine yesterday, and there was an amazing showing out there. I mean, the uh, Vintage 2002 Club from Austin was there with all their BMWs, and then right across the way there was a bunch of old Jags, and the Camaro Club came out and. There was a GT40 out there. I think it was actually a true GT40. We'll, we'll talk more about that because, I'm, like I said, I know that's something that happens on a regular basis mm-hmm. and it's something that happens across the country. But uh, just, just for people listening locally, um, how can they get be part of that? So some invites go out to our members. Um, for this event specifically, it was a $75 donation. And that included uh, being at the Show and Shine. We did a People's Choice Award. Uh, the winning People's Choice was a 1925 Cadillac. That was <laughs> so he had 1925 tools and memorabilia sitting out on the on the uh-huh. uh, the foot peg, and it was just too cool. He was too excited about it. He drove it all the way here. He's from downtown Austin, and it was a great car to see. Um, but then halfway through the the track day, when all the racers go in for lunch, they actually went out and did a parade lap. <laughs> and I got to ride in the front seat of an 81 Mini Cooper that was pretty well kitted out. And he uh, he was a little behind the car in front of him. We got it coming up here on the main stretch towards turns one. And all 75 mile an hour, that thing was truly terrifying. It was shaking. a ton of fun. Oh, yeah, my, my teeth, my head, everything was shaking. It was a ton of fun. We know how to race in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> I got to know, the 1925 Cadillac, what, what motor, what drivetrain? So I asked him, is that a flathead? He said, no, because that's a Ford. But it is a flathead V8. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to see it. I was out in, in the hills driving around. But, uh, uh, you know, even if you're coming out for a show or our show and shine that we do at SVRA every year, um, you know, come to a live hot track is always a good time. And yeah. uh, these vintage cars are loud and they're crude and they're fast and it's fun to be here and watch them. Yeah, and, and there's every, every era, every vintage, every style. I mean, with the, those Porsches, the, the little Porsche. I don't know enough about them, but they look like they have a Volkswagen engine in the, in the back. I mean, <laughs> I have a huge car yeah. guy gearhead, and there's cars that I've never even there's heard of. There's stuff here that you've never, you've never seen. I mean, you got Triumphs and, and Datsuns and Minis and BMWs and just everything. Yeah, my son is into the, uh, the Japanese, and we found that, uh, saw that 280Z nice. race car over there. It looked like the Paul Newman car, but I don't, I don't know which one it was. We saw an NSU. A German NSU. I don't know what I, it is. No, I I've got no clue. I, I was just going to comment. Uh, a couple of Datsun 210s were just, or 510s, excuse me, were and just we were going by. We were by a Corvair, which I didn't, didn't know Yanko. existed. Yeah, it was <laughs> a what Yanko is that? Corvair. Is, the engine was in the boot, or what I call the, the trunk. <laughs> in the trunk, yeah. The trunk, yeah. Um, you know, what, you, no one you know a little bit about that car. Uh, it, was a, it was a Yanko Stinger which I'd only ever read about. I don't think there's more than a couple dozen out there, but that was an incredibly rare car. He had all the pedigree and all the history in a book sitting on the roof, and he was just sitting there waiting to go to grid, talking to his son. It was yeah, so he said, crazy. Yeah, he said there were 100 out there, and there were five in Springfield, Missouri. There were five of them in Springfield. <laughs> wow. so. Go figure. You know, that, that Corvair is actually a really little interesting piece of American history. It's a Chevrolet Corvair. Mm-hmm. And, Jonathan, when you walked up, I said, that's a Chevrolet, and you're like, look at me like I'm crazy. Because <laughs> yeah. it, it looked more like that NSU than anything right. else, that little German, almost like an Alpha or a 510, yeah. something yeah. that era. Well, I told him he was brave for, for racing it because they were billed as death traps in the day. Well, yeah, well, the, Ralph Nader. Unsafe <laughs> Speed. Yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. fuel tank's in the front. Yeah. <laughs> and all the weights in the back. All the weights in the it's back, I don't know. not a good scene. Yeah. You know, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first production American car with a turbocharger on it. I believe you're correct. They, they made, actually, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It was it was at a flat four? 
or uh, flat six? Flat four, flat six, yeah. Similar configuration to a Volkswagen, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, the very first uh, American car, production car, that had a turbocharger on it was the Corvair. Now, and that example out there looked like, I don't, I don't know, maybe one of the most valuable Corvairs ever because it looked flawless. Probably, yeah, probably. It, it, it absolutely and, you know, is, yeah. It, they still have a huge following. Um, you can go to any town, and uh, there's probably a very active Corvair club <laughs> in that town. So uh, that's because they're fun to drive, and uh, and they did get that bad rap. So, you know, some people won't gravitate towards that. Well, you know, when I was growing up, they were looked at as kind of like, this is such a weird, goofy little car. I, didn't, I had no desire because it, when I was growing up, you know, in, in the late 60s, early 70s, the muscle cars were, uh, you know, on the landscape, GTOs on up, everything. But the Corvair was just this forgotten stepchild. And now yeah. I'm thinking that is one of the coolest cars That's out cool here at car. the show. There's nothing wrong with a Corvair. Well, and they had all those different variants of it. There's actually a pickup truck Corvair yeah. that has a side-loading um, door that opens and closes. And it's one of the wildest things I've ever seen, especially the most wild American car I've ever seen. Yeah. I saw a Mini Cooper, Austin Cooper pickup truck. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, wow. he, uh, he had a Vespa riding around in the back of it when he showed up. That was a on. great car. <laughs> All right, guys, let's go ahead and take another quick break. And we are out at Circuit of the Americas. Listen to Speed City, and we'll be back after these messages. Lone Star Rallycross, a family-friendly, time-trial, loose surface racing series with affordable events, quality competition, and an emphasis on having fun. Co-founded by multi-time SCCA solo and Rallycross national champion, Rally America class champion, and Pikes Peak Hill Climb winner Breanne Korn and her brother Kevin Korn. Race the same car you drive to work on Monday. Just 20 minutes from Circuit of the Americas at the state's only purpose-built Rallycross facility. Online at LoneStarRallycross.com. The Austin East KOA Campground, just 15 minutes from Circuit of the Americas and downtown Austin, and just two minutes from the Travis County Expo Center and Central Texas Fishing in Decker Lake. Featuring amenities for every style of camping, from tent sites to luxury RV pull-throughs and cabins, plus a pool, showers, and laundry. Nestled in tall oak trees on the edge of the hill country, all the pleasures of the Lone Star State await you at Austin East KOA. To make your reservation, visit austineastkoa.com. Talk 1370. You are listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Welcome back to Speed City. We're out at Circuit of the Americas for the Vintage Racing SBRA and Trans Am Racing. never guessed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what you hear in the background. And the guys were all just jumping up and down because the Mini was running by. And earlier, we were next to the Haggerty Garage was the Scrutineering Garage. And, you know, where they have the Formula One cars you see on TV. We walk by them and we're doing the show down here. But... Uh, they, they pulled the Mini up on there. Yeah. And my son and I were looking at it, and uh, it's really cool because we stepped right up next to the scales and looking at the car and how the scales worked. And you could see all four weights from each tire and see how much pressure each tire was. It was amazing how different all four were, by the way, on an old Mini. But we were going, oh, that car only weighs 1,650 pounds. And then we looked. We realized there's the driver in there, too. So the car weighed something like 1,500 pounds. We're talking about its size. How about those little Hoosiers? I'd, I'd like to make some mini speakers out of those. It's like, where do you get race tires that are that 11 are inches, two inches in long? <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, well, hey, speaking of the Haggerty uh, Garage, we're in, we got a couple of Haggerty guys on the show. And we want to ask you guys. There's so many different people of different levels of of the sport out here. When I say the sport, I mean everything from collectors to racers. But 
I know you guys can insure just about any cool car, and 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 so let's talk about. Let's say a guy's got he's got his regular wife and kid car, and then he's got one car, one special car, whether it's a ten year old Corvette or a thirty year old Mustang or whatever. But then you all the way up to the guy who's got. Let's say he's got a collection of twenty five or thirty cars. But talk about the process a little bit. Let's say, address the first one. Let's say just a guy with the, the single guy, the, yeah, the single and, car and guy, and he's not going to use it every day, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the bread and butter right there, right? Not everybody can have the the thirty five cars in their garage. Um, you know, we're going to meet you wherever you are, and um, we're just all about giving you the value out of your car that it's worth. And I think that that's why we're successful in our space is that we understand cars, we understand the market for the cars. So, um, you know, you've got these big carriers out there, these standard carriers that'll look at it and treat your, you know, classic Mini like it's a Honda Civic. And, and that doesn't really mesh very well. So um, from our perspective, we just want to make sure that if you do get in an accident, something happens to your car, you can get it fixed or you can fix it yourself. Or, um, That's a good point. Yeah, fix it yourself, Or too. your buddy in his, in his barn, the guy that helped you build it. Or maybe you built it with your son. And you want to rebuild it with your son. Um, we're going to meet you where you are. Yeah, I, I never thought about that because you go, you know, traditional car insurance. You want to fix it yourself. Let me, you know, give me the money for the parts or whatever. That doesn't happen, does it? Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, exactly. If you're in a modern vehicle that's fiberglass body and you get into a wreck, they're like, okay, fix the fender. But what if I have a pearl paint job on my MG and I can't just replace that fender? I've got to now repaint the entire car because you cannot blend that paint. Um, that's something we're going to know when you call us. So we're going to pay for that, that job to be fixed properly. Yeah, that's such a huge deal. Car guys, we should know that you can't get regular insurance on these cars. You're going to regret it. Yeah. I mean, I know you can because I've done it before. I've, I've been that guy yeah, they'll sell it to you know, you. that has you know, the wife and kid and a son and daughter car, but I've also got a cool Corvette or whatever, right. and insure them through the normal processes and it's not a smooth thing when you've got a when you got a, a, a problem when you have an accident or whatever absolutely i mean we all know that that uh the old insurance game of you know insuring a vehicle and then when when it gets wrecked you get a quarter or you know yep. maybe hopefully half of what that what you paid for that thing and then we're just we're an insurance company that pays you what we said we were going to pay you up front and uh, you know we've got underwriters in in our office that understand these cars. Most people that work at Haggerty are car people. Uh, if you walk through our Traverse City or our Golden office, you're going to see models of cars, pictures of cars. People are going to be talking about cars all the time. Uh, to my right here, we've got Nolan, and uh, he came out of the Golden office. He was an underwriter for us, and uh, he can attest to that. Yeah, uh, we had old carburetors to Corvairs as paperweights in some of the rooms, <laughs> and uh, we had a, a defunct uh, boot lid, as you would, for an E-Type sitting on our wall above my desk. It was just one-of-a-kind things that you would not find in your typical insurance office. Um, and, and when it comes down to it, you know, I'm going to spend more time talking about the passion of your car than we're going to talk about, you know, actually insuring it. Well, furthermore, so. we put a new uh, car in our what we call our drum, um, on a monthly, quarterly, monthly basis, whenever yeah. we can find a new cool one to put in there. So if you show up to the Golden Office, you may run into the genuine bullet car, Steve McQueen's bullet. <laughs> yeah. um, it might just be sitting there in the lobby. We had uh, the Porsche Kramer, the RSR car, the Jägermeister Livered car, for a month. Uh, it was 
somewhere around two or three million dollar car and i got to go down and eat lunch next to it for a whole <laughs> month I, I was the weird guy sitting next to the car eating lunch but it was so yeah, unbelievable that that w- the guy used to say honey who are you talking to it's my insurance guy it really is the insurance guy you're talking <laughs> cars with him this time <laughs> we're, not, yeah. we're probably not wearing khakis though yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah and you know to bring it back to your question um the reason that we're good at this is because we live it yeah. um for instance this weekend I went on a driving tour in the hill country of, uh, of Texas uh, with a bunch of other car people and, uh, you know, put a Porsche came, Porsche came in through its, the paces. Uh, so it's not just about those waxers, the polishers, um, and it's not just about the collector. I know that we do have some folks think, oh, well, I don't have a collection of cars. Come to us with your VW bug that's, you know, not worth a whole lot um, because we want to ensure that too. That's awesome. Well, guys, let's talk about Formula One. We had it here in Austin two weeks ago. We have got Mexico. So what do we got left, Jonathan? We got Brazil two, and Abu Dhabi? Yeah, the last two races of the year, Brazil and Abu Dhabi. Uh, it, it, interesting for two different reasons. One, obviously, the championship uh, is over, but at the same time, um, Brazil is always a great race. Uh, there's usually weather comes into play. The Brazilians are crazy about their, their racing. It's a great venue. It's a great circuit. Um, it's, a good, it's a good social time for us. It's in the middle of the afternoon. And, yeah. then, and then Abu Dhabi, the final race of the year, because everybody then is looking already towards next year. Uh, Alonso's doing a drive swap with Jimmy Johnson afterwards. Uh, there's the test days for the young drivers, and that includes Lance Stroll doing a test drive in the Force India on the oh, Monday right. after Abu yeah. Dhabi. So there's a lot, that, you know, it, it seems like the, the, the year's petering out. Renault are going for fourth, so a Haas, but I think that game might be over after the woes that they've had, certainly last time out at Mexico. But, um, uh, you know, there's there's two more races. Let's let's enjoy them. Yeah, that's right. The race starts at one o'clock here in Austin, and of course we're going to have our pre and post show races, uh, race shows. So if you want to check out when those start and uh, where to hear those, go to our website, speedcitybroadcast.com. And of course we're going to have a lot. Of the the full Tony Perella interview will be up on our SoundCloud account, and you can find that link from our website as well. And we're going to probably have some more interviews from this weekend. New content all the time up on our website. And, uh, guys, uh, I appreciate you guys coming on the show. Nolan and Sean from Haggerty, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Yeah, and, thank you uh, for having us. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Absolutely. All Cheers. right, well, thanks for tuning in to Speed City, and we will talk to you next week. Happy trails. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.